Back when we was growing up, in other words, we raised nearly all the food he had. And he, so, say, for instance, like syrup, <clears throat> there's two kinds of syrup he had, uh, what we call cane syrup or sorghum syrup. It's kind of made from two ty two types of cane, yeah, but anyhow, the cane syrup was what most people would have. And that was my dad's favorite <coughs> type to buy, or we'd have milk, I mean, uh, syrup and biscuits and butter and everything every morning. So, but to make cane syrup, he plant the cane and grow it up and while it's green and got lots of sap in it and mm -hmm. it'll be uh, six foot high or so. Then you strip all the leaves off of it and then you cut them stalks, all the stalks, and then you carry that. And then you got the, what we call the, we called it a syrup mill <laughs> when we, yeah, but it's just a cane mill that you'd hook the horse to. You'd have, you'd have, mount this thing up on a tree stump was what people usually do because they saw off a tree stump and they'd mount that to it because it had to be something that'd hold this mill, you know. Then they'd hook, uh, uh, put a, piece of timber out on that for your mule to pull. To walk around. And the mule would walk in circles around and pull it. And they had these three rollers that run, you could adjust them down that run it, press that mule. So you can think about this. Every time a mule had to make a round, there's just one round on one of them rollers. Is so that slow? It's, it's pretty slow. Wow. Deal, but so you had to feed these cane stalks into there, and they'd squeeze out, but they'd have a juice running out down here. And then you'd, you'd have a vat that's all about six foot long and two foot wide or so, and it's up, built up about two foot off the ground. Then you had this pan that'd go across the top of this. And then they'd have a fluke come up on the other end to, so it'd draw the Heat. fire uh -huh. out. <clears throat> and then this pan, you'd have this little grates uh, put in it. And, uh, that you'd, you'd have a, about a four-inch wide deal on the end of a little rod that you'd push this down this one and then come back this one. So you'd go like this, like Would that. Would it come down an angle? So, no. So it is flat. All this is flat. Uh-huh. And the reason, way that you'd make that syrup move end to end, not stay in one spot, was this deal here that you'd push all the time. Were you, you getting see? bugs in the syrup the entire time? No, it, it, are you outside when you're doing this? Or are you in yeah, the house? that's all outside, but... Yeah. The heat and all it keep kept the, them away. Keep them away. But anyhow, you'd you raise the cane, press the juice out, and then that juice could cook it down till it 
turns into. Well, it'd be real watery coming yeah, out. Yeah, it starts press. out. It's just like almost like water. Yeah. And, and take so. it like uh, maple syrup. They concentrate that. It's thirty-seven gallons of syrup to get a gallon. Yeah. Of, well, so one to thirty-seven it, ratio. He evaporated a lot of. That's all this cooking is doing. Nearly evaporating. Mm -hmm. So that's the way you made the cane syrup, and then you put that in buckets. Usually the first bail out that he'd cook and get everything cleaned up and everything, he'd make make that into taffy candy. <laughs> syrup candy, but it'd be like pulling taffy. Yeah. How sweet would it be? It's pretty good. This is, it, that was pretty much of a luxury to have. Yeah. To eat them. Everybody goes around chewing on you pull a Johnson grass or whatever and stick it in your mouth is sweet. Would it be sweeter than that, I guess, since it's concentrated? Yeah, it's it's, it's good. Huh. Okay, well, what about storing meat on the... Well, say, like, for instance, uh, temperature-wise, you, you, you wouldn't have clean, you wouldn't kill hogs or beef any time during the year when it wasn't cold, you had to be able to eat that beef. You know, we you couldn't keep it. We wouldn't have refrigeration or anything. You'd have to, if you're going to kill a beef, you had to get some of your neighbors around take a quarter piece of it or something so you get it all eat up, you know. It'd have to it, go in low. a couple of days, wouldn't it, when there's nothing? Would there be an icebox around to keep things Cool. Well, you could you could get enough ice to kind of keep it a day or two or something, yeah. but most time you wouldn't kill stuff during that hot part of the year. Yeah. It, you you'd kill chickens because you'd kill eat them and eat them. Yeah. But like hogs and that kind of stuff, you'd wait till it got in the first cold weather when it's when it, especially when it's going freeze. But if it just got to where it'd get down to the Close to the thirties or like that, where it'd keep meat from spoiling. So that'd be hog killing weather we call it. So you got to kill the hogs, and that was a you talk about a big old job. That was a big job to heat the water in no wash pots and put it in the barrels and. Get to shoot the hog and <laughs> yeah. bring him up, and then you got to stick him in that hot water to where it'll get the hair to slip off. Really? You, yeah. Huh. That's a, what you got to do before you scrape him, we call it. Yeah. Get the hair off of him. And time you cut all that up, and then you, you'd put him up on the roof, all that fresh meat. First cold night on a tin roof. Yeah, well, well it, it didn't tin? make any difference. It yeah. was a shingle roof before we went to tin, but you'd put it all up on the roof just to keep the dogs <laughs> all that from wow. getting it. Wow. Yeah. So how so, long could you keep meat? I mean, uh, it started getting cold, but 
You still got some warm weather. Well, just like there, when it started getting cool weather where you could keep all that, you'd have meat that we'd have hanging up like out on the screen porch for uh, all the way through wintertime. When just it about. really did start getting cold. It. Wow. That's a big old job to kill pork and fix all the hams where they'll keep and get the sausage where it'll, you gotta make a little, either make them or you can buy them. Mama always made most of them. He'd buy them till and so them. He'd, he'd stuff them up and little. Uh, Could you can you, meat in the summer? You can I mean, can, that, yeah. That's, that's, that's what you'd work. have to do. And I tell you what, some of the best meat that I can remember eating is is canned beef because that cooked up real tender and and boy it was, it was some good eating that come out of that but that was a big old job to can all that and cook it what uh would it just be water you have your meat in a jar and in water would you use some kind of oil or you'd, you'd put all this meat in a can and you cook it you put the cans in a cooker yeah, but you got to get all the air out of the can, though. What's filling well, up? Well, in other words, you, you fill that can as close to full as you can get it. Uh-huh. And then put the lid on it. And then you can just cook that in the sealer. Oh, really? Yeah. You can get Whole that? Whole can. Okay. Oh. I guess, like, canning fruit and everything, would y'all do quite a bit of that? Or? Goodness, yeah. We'd have... It's like peaches, for instance. There's a lot of days we'd have a hundred cans a day and on canned peaches. <coughs> canned peaches were just like having money. Yeah. In other words, you could trade canned peaches to nearly anywhere you wanted to go. In fact, Ben's here's the first three girls that Mama brought the tech out here. She brought enough peaches in the car to pay for a bunch of their board and books. And it's like she'd bring a can of peaches, and I've never seen this fail. She'd give a, open up that can of peaches to whoever she was going to trade with. Uh -huh. And I'll promise you those canned peaches that Mama had because she'd sweeten them up and cook them all and make them out of good peaches to start with. You never had anybody that said, boy, them is good. <laughs> That's a treat to have good peaches. What kind of food would you really be buying that you weren't growing yourself? I guess you'd need sugar you and sugar flour. And it's like, I can remember a lot of times when my dad and mother would go to town and sugar and flour and baking powder and Beans. soda and uh, well, we, a lot of times we'd have our own dried really? beans, really, and peas. But those items like that, you know, you had to have them kerosene <laughs> to start a fire with or burn in the old lamps. So. But it, like a grocery bill back in them days wasn't like it is today. 
But the thing is, he worked nearly all year planning on gardening and how to get you early supply of, say, for instance, like on sweet potatoes or orange potatoes. The orange potatoes, you'd plant, cut up a, a they on this plant pieces, you know. But like on sweet potatoes, you'd fix them up and they'd sprout and you'd plant the sprouts. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. Um. When was that that y'all bought that kerosene refrigerator? What year was that? I mean, when did y'all have, did y'all ever have an ice box or was that too labor? We never did have an ice box. Now, uh, just like us, we was too far out of town to buy ice. Now, like out here, the Shoffners and all them, they just two miles from town, they'd use the ice box a lot, but they store up ice, you know, in the wintertime easy because it freezes off the windmill towers and they could store up a bunch of Oh, wow, they just, okay. Ice. But anyhow, after the uh, kerosene uh, refrigerators and things come along, and like out here, uh, Grandfather Schaffner, they had what they call a Delco plant. In other words, that was a, you had a wind charger, it run all the time, and you had a big old stack of batteries. Oh, so they were it, making electricity. It was like 12 big batteries, all in glass. Yeah. Each each battery was a glass container. Uh-huh. And had you lead acid and everything, you could see the whole works. <laughs> that, that's all stacked up here and hooked together. And so then you had a Delco plant that was a gasoline engine to make it run. And you had your wind chargers to... Keep the batteries so, charged. So like that wind chargers run during the daytime, and but most of the time at night, They'd crank that little engine, and so they'd run. They'd put so much gasoline in it to run about as long as bedtime, and then they'd run out so they wouldn't have to go. Yeah, turn it off. So, turn it off. Were those batteries in the house, or they no, were outside? No, they were outside. In the, what they, you know, people used to call them smokehouses because they'd hang meat and stuff in them, but... Is out where, like, uh, on the back end of the garage, they had uh, another room that he built for his Delco plant to be in. Like uh, milk, I mean, you got a fresh supply every day. Um, people would keep cream and stuff in a in a wa in a windmill tank, wouldn't they? Well, it's definitely cooler than... Yeah, it was like a cooler that we had at home the whole time that we kept inside on the screen porch. And all it was is each tray was water in it. Uh-huh. And then you set your milk in containers in that. And then you put a, a set of kind of outing material around that in the, in the top tank up here you'd fold that over in that 
and with water in it, and that would trickle out, and that'd keep saying cool, cool that your air down as it it's cooler than, you know, it'd kind of keep milk to better. But you weren't really concerned with that, were you? Because, I mean, every day you're milking cows. No, you, in other words, every day you'd, you'd milk a, a, a jar of cream. and Yeah, so, every day. And then the, what milk, it wasn't fresh, you fed it to the pigs. Hogs. Yeah. Um. When did they yeah. start having soda? That's that's uh, kind of an older deal that they start, that, I mean, cities would have. Well, they've had soda long as I can remember. Soda yeah. and baking powder and... You know, that type of... No, like a soda oh, pop. Oh, a soda pop? Yeah. <laughs> I can remember Papa and Mama talking about the first soda pop that had when they was kids. He, he had a, a metal piece on the stopper, and he put it down in the jar, and they'd put the soda pop in it, and then they'd pull the stopper up against the top. See? Uh-huh. Seal. The stopper couldn't come all the way out. So then when you got ready to drink it, you had this piece of twisted wire here, and you'd push that down in there, and you'd <laughs> drink your soda pop, and then you'd pull that up to stop it. Yeah. Was that an aluminum can back no, then? No, that was a bottle. Yeah? A bottle with a... You with didn't a have aluminum cans and that then. Lunum was, man, out of us, big old kid boy had Lunum can. Everything was ten cans. Um, did y'all have running water in the house? One, you that's up? one thing that we had when the year I was born, Papa bought this, put in the windmill and the, and piped the water up to the house with a big old red tank. So, so gravity fed. We had the best water system in the community, and then the Carrolls was second that copied that, and then the Woods, uh, they copied that one, Papa and Mama would say, but all that started with Papa uh, buying the first one in the community and fixing it up. That was one thing that we had was a, Good water system. Um, what about you? Told me one time about a water heater that was a big giant steel tank underground, and it was. How would you heat water back then? It sounded like some dangerous kind of contraption. It'd be a big hole in the ground, and it big heavy tank that rise and fall. Is oh, it's making yeah. steam. No, this was making the gas to burn. In other words, that was called carbide. Carbide was as, as little crystals uh, pieces. And carbide, when you put it in liquid, gives off a gas, turns into a gas. And that gas is real explosive. It's like acetylene gas that you weld. Yeah. That's what that is. That's made that way. That's acetylene gas. I mean, that's a really explosive. Flammable. All right, now, 
pistols. They caught my used to made the win Winchester and uh, what was the other Colt. Colt Colt uh Colt uh, company. He was the one that made these carbide plants. In other words, it's like the one we had, it had the, made by the Colt firearms. In other words, you had this big old tank, it's, you know, like this big around. And it's, About four it's, feet? It's, yeah, it's more like six foot deep. Okay. That you put in the ground. All right, the bottom part of that thing is uh, in the, you got water in this tank. And above, uh, up here above the water line, you've got this compartment here that you put this dry carbide crystals uh, pieces. They're gray, uh, it is gray pieces of carbide. Uh-huh. You put them in there. <clears throat> All right, now, <clears throat> This thing rises and falls. In other words, you got an inverted, it'd be just like an inverted barrel. Yeah. A tank that open on this end, and it fits down against this water, see? So it's airtight. When it makes this gas, it's up in this barrel here above, above the water line. So, and then the, the gas that this thing makes, in other words, this piped in the house and all. And then your appliances are running off of it. Well, it's just your lights and then you got gas burner. But uh, they didn't use a gas burner too much except in the summertime when it was real hot. Keep having a, you know, building a wood fire and these old deal in the summertime boy that's a yeah that's a hot deal and like whenever he's doing all that canyon stuff in the hot house like that or something but just like on these carbide systems uh most of the little churches uh had these and then <clears throat> they, it made a better light than anything else you had at that time that little old flame it made was a white, whiter, brighter flame. And all these, all these, that was a light, just that little flame. So each one of those little pieces of pipe come out and it had a, a turn, you know, valve. You'd open the valve and then you'd turn this, which is a flint lighter. Yeah, yeah. That old rotary deal, you'd, Turn that thing and it'd light that deal, and that's the way that all worked. Or you had to have a, a match or something to Strike. light it. Yeah. But that was one means of having light. So you'd, uh, you got that tank sitting in water. You drop your carbide in, and then you close this thing, and it kind of pressures up, and then you can't. It's got you know, to completely it, run out of gas before you put more. Well, you you put this, uh, you put a, a pretty good amount of carbide in there. All right, this pressure raises and lowers, it'll let so much carbide in there to keep this pressure built up in this. 
It it work automatic. Okay, now I get how it is. Yeah. So you basically got a drum upside down, and it's got a rod yeah. hanging from the top of the drum. Yeah, no doubt. And the water that. level's touching that rod, so yeah. you either got more or less carbide. Yeah. Bubbling, making gas. Okay. It is. Would that be an everyday deal you got to fill up? or? No, that's just, you'd have a, it takes several days to, you know, to one filling the last several days. Huh. Or you'd have to, and after so long a time, you'd have a pipe that went down in the bottom of this tank. It had a, this thing had a, a pipe went to the bottom and then a pipe it went out and so she could wiggle this tank and it'd work its pipe across the bottom of it and stir, stir, it, the, up. stir it up and you'd pump that out and that was a whitewash that's that's what it was you know where this hockey talk about Whitewashing things used to, that's where the name of it comes. I thought that was that just old, what they called paint back then. Well, <laughs> it looked just like white paint. That old stuff you bought out. Well, it stripped the color off of things or it, it paint? Well, I don't think people would use it that much, but I mean, what you'd pump out was just like pumping white paint out. Okay. That uh. was your waste. Uh, huh. That was a byproduct of that uh, carbide, but that was that was a pretty good deal, and uh, everybody has had them. That was at one time. That was the only thing that just cost money. And during the war, during the Depression days, when people didn't have any money, they could they wouldn't buy a carbide. When did electricity? Uh, when did electricity become a deal that most houses had, like out in the country? Like, like we didn't get electricity down at home till like in '42 or so. They run the lines. They just for war, for war two was going, and. But like when the war started, they didn't, they couldn't get the meters to go on. Yeah. So they'd just hook you up and they'd go around and ask you what all you had to burn. And you'd estimate, and like ours, $4.27 is what we were supposed to pay. And that was what we paid for several years before they got meters. Was that every month? Yeah. 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 That that had to be quite a bit cheaper and. But that, well, man, like us, that was the best thing that ever happened, you know. And then, really? Yeah. And we got butane, eliminate having to get wood and all that. Boy, I tell you, that's a, it's a lot better ways. We don't know. You can't even visualize how nice it is today not to have to go milk and. Get keep all the chickens and all that kind of stuff and the firewood. Man, Eddie. Would you have like some kind of wind up alarm clock, or would you just wake yeah, up was, every day? No, well, we didn't hardly ever set the alarm clock. But you, you, did, you did. There you was. You get one. up. 
I'd add on to that four roll deal and make it a five roll knifing and you could knife five rows at a time or you could label that outside blade off and knife four beds at a time. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So either one, so that changed and you wouldn't believe how much more, in other words, how much business that we got out of all that. Really? And that's what Mr. Copeland is after. It's like that morning, I wasn't intending to work at the shop or anything. I, and then I back the tractor in there, and when I got off, I just got off and went to helping them guys. Well, about two hours had passed, and I noticed Mr. Copeland, he's kind of sitting over there watching me, and I walked over and I said, Mr. Copeland, I don't intend to get in anybody's way or anything. I just helping these guys, and he said, Buzz, he said, I've been watching you. He said, you better help these guys hard. He said, I need to put you on the payroll. And I said, well, I'm farming, but I would like to work whenever I'm not farming. He said, well, you just count yourself hard, 60 cents an hour. So I just went back and went to work. Well, this was on a Monday morning. That, at that weekend, he fired the best guy he had. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> because uh, I was doing more work than he was doing. There's a guy... Well, I mean, he was the best help I had there at and, the time, uh -huh. but he wasn't producing what he was capable of doing, and he didn't show up for work there one morning. So, and so, anyhow, it was kind of funny. After he's in there, <clears throat> we were running two welders side by side here. He was running one, and I was running the other, and we were making these runners. So when he didn't show up that morning, I was running my welder, and I just turned his on. I was running two welders <laughs> at a time. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Copeland walked up a little bit and same me, and he said, Buzz, what are you doing? He said, you can't run two welders at a time. And I said, well, Mr. Copeland, Look at where I've been welding and what we did yesterday with two. He said, well, what's the difference? And I said, well, you tell me. He said, well, this in here looks better where you're running two same time. So you're just welding with two arcs. Yeah. You know, about two inches apart. Okay. And I said, we just start that <laughs> two at a time and Instead of having two men, he, he was telling everybody he never knew anybody could run too well. I've never done that. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he had all his, he had big uh, shop tools like Iron Man and Well, the press top breaks. equipment that he had in the back over then. He wasn't as sophisticated as what you have today. Uh, they just had what they had, to, what they needed, and, you know. 
Boy, it was a hot place in that old, it wasn't a very tall ceiling, that old sheet iron building of the forge you going on top of that oh, in the summertime. Forge. Man, it was hot in there. Yeah. How many, did you, you know, work there one the, year? Before or? that, uh, it's like soda pop. I'd drink anything in the box before I'd drink Coke for some reason. I don't know why. That's just the way I was. So like Mr. Copeland there, all he had was a Coke box. Uh-huh. And whenever he was working in there, and we'd stop at, <clears throat> say, about 3 o'clock in the evening for a Coke break, and he'd have them where you'd pull the top off, it turned to, it's kind of like a soft snow. Yeah. You know, it's frozen. Really? And boy, I learned like them Cokes pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but that old Coke box, Mr. Copeland talked about, if it wasn't cold, if it wasn't right to the freezing point, that's where he'd keep it. Yeah, that's the sweet spot. Um, Grandmother was working at the uh, grocery yeah, store. Yeah, about a week after I started there, uh, a little store across the street from a blacksmith shop. I got her job. She got 50 cents an hour, and I got 60 cents an hour. And this is no joke. We go home at night to eat supper and talk about we're going to bust slide taking dollar and dime an hour away from. How many people there. were living over there back then? Cause... You wouldn't believe this like that store there. They, they had a, <clears throat> a grocery truck you know, Bob Dale grocery truck. Yeah. That delivered a, a, nearly a full deal of groceries out there every day. Every day. And then Mr. Robertson would make one or two trips and sometime more than that, pickups on top of that. Now, now the, the busy time was in the summertime when you had hoe-ins. Yeah. Coming. And then in the fall when you had the cotton pickers, you, you can't believe every one of these little communities was, that was a going concern. Uh, Lubbock was a lot smaller back then. Oh, How far would it have been to town from Slide to Lubbock? Well, the thing about going to downtown, and the thing is, nobody hardly went to town except once a week. Yeah, the communities were, yeah. had everything it's, you needed. It's, How big was Lubbock when you moved out here, do you know? It was right at 40,000. Really, is that big? Yeah. But just like right now, Lubbock County is what, uh, 300, nearly 350,000, isn't it? I don't... I don't I don't know. Town is over a quarter million, isn't it? Just yeah, over a quarter I, million. I think right I at. heard them say not long ago that uh, Lubbock County now is right at 350,000. Liz and Reuben, Pearl, and Layton all went to California. Why'd they go well, to California? Well, Marie, that's where Marie and Joe lived. And they just had the opportunity to go, and then two weeks after they went, uh, then uh, Earl and Opal 
and Clone and Dole and Patricia and me all went out there and back. Were they farming out there? No, they, uh, Joe, Joe Love, he, he was raised here in Lubbock. And whenever he was going to college, uh, he worked at Ice House. And then he was, uh, Ice House made these big old 300 pound blocks of ice. And then they'd go through, a, they'd slide along, they'd have a saw, they'd saw marks through that so that you could chip these up in smaller blocks. Huh. And they'd make it, you know, where the saw would run. That's where it'd be blocked. Yeah. But anyhow, these big old blocks of ice, he was working in the, uh, part-time trying to make enough money to go through college on. And so anyhow, one of those big old blocks of ice made him foot slide across in front of the saw and sawed his toes off on one foot. How old was he when that? Well, he was working his way through college. Okay. But anyhow, that's where uh, Marie met Joe, was in college here. And then when they got out of college, he got a job working in the defense plants all out in California. There was a big time draw of people all over the United States to go out there and work in these, uh, just like Marissa Springs there down there where we were. When the kids got to where they needed a job, they'd go to California because they could get one in any of those places. So, but like Joe, he went to work for Ryan Aircraft. Okay. And Ryan Aircraft was kind of a little uh, aircraft company. Can had consolidated, and then uh, there was another big one. They was all three right together. But then Joe wound up working there at Ryan for several years and got to be one of the head guys. And when we went through the plant with him in 46, that wasn't long before he passed away. Uh, He had like 300 women working under him making parts. Really? And as we walked through that old area, we was amazed that (laughs) there wasn't hardly a single woman that didn't Hey, good morning, Mr. Love. <laughs> that was right after the war, and it's still all, yep. all females. Yeah, still. Huh. But anyhow, it was interesting to see all that. Ryan Aircraft was the one that made the uh, aircraft that uh, Lindbergh flew. Okay. His, okay. See, uh... To make that airplane, he kind of drew up the design of it and went to these companies to try to get them to build it. And Ryan was the only one that wanted to build Take a up. chance? Yeah. Huh. And see, that didn't even have a windshield in it. You think about 
they, you know, they're just metal <laughs> front, so he only could see out the side glasses. That's, that's something else. That was in the 20s when that went on, right? When he well, flew? Yeah, that was the year I was born. Was when he made his, like, usually whenever I set uh, 1927, you know, when the year that I was born, what happened, usually the first thing comes up is Lindbergh's flight. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, you had... Uh, an older brother and seven sisters. Yeah. And then you're the youngest one in the family. Right. And you're 91, right? Yeah, I'm fixing to be 92 here about, about three a, weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you grew up down in Richland Springs, Texas, kind of yeah. like Central. That's, that's San Saba County and anywhere where the Jews graphical center of Texas is that was only about 15 miles from where we lived. Okay. So we was in San Saba County there and uh, went to Bethel School till I was through the sixth grade and then they consolidated into Weston Springs so uh, from seventh grade on. How many kids were in your class like and how many well, kids were you going to school back then? With? When, when we was at Bethel there, there wouldn't be but about six or seven kids to the class. Yeah. You'd have three grades in one room. So you got to listen to all the classes back, <laughs> all the time. Back then, were their schools kind of... Well, I mean, every little community had a school. Yeah, every, every community had a school where kids didn't have to travel too far to yeah. go to school. I but heard that, it. Then they consolidated in. Of course, that was before school buses really started. And then as they consolidated, they started running school buses to bus the kids. Um... What all did y'all farm? Just like where we grew up down there, uh, there's a road that runs kind of across the center of San Saba County, north and south. It's called Cotton Belt Road. Okay. And that was really named because of cotton. And cotton was the number one crop whenever, like when I was born. That was the main crop that people was raising. And then as the boll eagle come along and got worse and worse, it literally put that company country out of the cotton business till they got the screwworm eradication. But even like now, they don't plant enough cotton down there to even count. When did the when did that time frame come along that? people really couldn't grow cotton anymore is such a problem. That happened, say, that by 1946 was the last cotton that Papa planted. We only planted, we we harvested two bales. And I told my dad when me and him picked that cotton, I said, 
there's got to be a better way to do this. I said, peanuts will make more money. But after the boll weevil was, you could tell that that was getting less and less. So like before I started school, we started raising peanuts just a little bit at a time. I mean, a few acres. And like the planter box that you needed, there was only one planter box made to plant the old, grab the old peanuts that had the tails still on them. And because when a peanut comes off the plant, until you, it, it's got a, what they call a tail on it. The, you know, it feeds the peanut yeah. when it's growing. Yeah. And then that stays with that peanut. But So is this? Like, like to get that off, you either got to pull it off or run it through. The later thrashers had a set of saws that these peanuts would slide down through. And that saws would grab them tails and... So you'd plant off. the whole hole? Yeah, you plant that whole okay. peanut with a hole off. Huh. And then <clears throat> after about four or five years later, well, then they started planting the shell ones. Yeah. And then that went real good because you could make your planters plant you more, know, even. more even. And yeah. So, but like uh, when... Papa planted the first peanuts. That was before I started school. It was big enough to go to school. So I was probably four years, around three or four years old. My job was to pick the sticks out of the peanuts and pull the tails off all I could by the time he'd plant next and clean the peanuts down to where yeah. just the Still in a hole, but so the planter so box is. So he's worked. ready to fill up again. And the way that old planter box worked was a little chain. It had little cups on it. Uh-huh. And it'd come out of the bottom, come down this hoop, and then come up through the peanuts and pick up a peanut and drop it over here. <laughs> That's There's the way a little the, hole. That was the way the first peanut planter box worked. Huh. How many rows was? Yeah, that was one row. One row with planted. mules, yeah. With mules. Wow. Yeah. How many yeah. acres did you grow up on? How many acres were y'all farming down there? Well, uh, there was 140 acres on our home place, and then we had work part of my granddad's place. There's about another hundred and. Uh, I guess that's about as, not hardly 160 acres out of his place. And then we rented two or three more places, so by the time that I was in high school, that's when we come up with all that other land to rent, and we was running cattle on the pasture part and farming the peanuts on the other part. So where I made enough money to come to West Texas on was out of peanuts. That's where it came I, from. I, I, I liked $5 having $5,000 in cash to come out here on. That's, that was in 47? 
last part of 47, no words. Oh. 48 was our first year. Okay. See, we got married December the 21st of 47. Yeah, right. like, <clears throat> uh, when, when we, well, we come out here, we had uncles, several of my mother's brothers and them had moved to the Rio Grande Valley. They all was out here to start with, oh. over at Leveland. Uh-huh. And, in other words, go back to the time when <clears throat> uh, Bartermans and the Schaffner family both, uh, they were in Hunt County, the Bartermans was, and then Schaffner moved on up to, uh, got close to Dallas there at Ennis, Texas. And then they knew each other from the time they left uh, when they first come to America, the family did, and they they literally followed each other all the way from South Carolina down to Tennessee, and here my <clears throat> my granddad's both used to sit and I'd talk to them for hours, and they'd tell me about you know their history and. Like the way they they literally made their living by moving a few miles a year because you couldn't just travel through the country because there wasn't any roads and therefore you you had to cut your way through the timber if you if it wasn't the road ahead of you and so like when you go go to down that country today and you see well, how they made that. He makes you understand what they went through. So both both the Vardamans and the Schaffner both had little sawmills. Yeah, okay. And what they did with them, that they'd cut the timber and make new houses and things, and then they'd move seven to eight, ten or twelve miles a year. Every or year? Not every year, but every, every two or three to five years. When the wood was gone. It said about seven years the longest they ever stayed in one place. They'd move on to a new country and move further because somebody else had, you know, kind of cut a road. Now, but that, that's how slow that all that progressed. And then some of the Vardaman family is still down in Mississippi. And we we went by and visited that. Holly uh, took me and we went through, and it's amazing. Like where the that family when they got to Mississippi and started, uh, they uh, took a section land to you know prove it as a homestead. Okay. And anyhow, they built a church and this little church is still there today and when it faces uh, the faces north it's on the south side of a little paved road and this pavement runs probably less than 20 feet of the front of the church <laughs> right, I mean, right on the road it, that, 
old road, but the reason they didn't move the road further away, the cemetery was on the other side of the road. So that road goes between that cemetery and that little church, so that's the reason that's huh. it's tight. But that little church is still in operation today there, and then several of the history of the family is buried across the road there. Is that Vardaman, Mississippi? The close to that is Vardaman, Mississippi, yeah. Okay. And anyhow, that was named after Governor Vardaman. Okay. That's where it got its name. Huh. When he got governor, they changed it to Vardaman. And that's also the sweet potato capital of the United States. In other words, it's got a reputation of having one of the best sweet potatoes. So. Good quality. What? Yeah. So when did the Vardamans and Schaffners immigrate to America? Do you know when that was? I don't remember the exact date that they landed and started over here. Uh, most of them would talk about when they left Ennis and moved to Brown County, down okay. to Brownwood. Yeah. And Bangs is about six, seven miles west of Brownwood, and that's where the Vardaman Schaffner lived, and that's where Papa and Mama got married. And, and that would have been <clears> in the 1800s? That would have been yeah. in the early 1800s. When when did they get married? Well, in other words, yeah. say uh, they got married in 1909. 1909. Yeah, so okay. that, was, that was in the late 1800s when they moved to Brown County. <coughs> <coughs> Any other... When <coughs> uh, on my granddad Schaffner traveled out here, see, there's several boys in that family. There's 14 of the kids in that family. <laughs> so he he got on, took a trip out here and looking for land and so forth to move to. He wound up buying land from C.W. Post. C.W. Post, you know, started the Post Serials and and he, Post, Texas is named after him. He bought a, several thousand acres down there and sold that out. Well, he also bought several thousand acres over where Leveland is. Okay, I didn't and, know about that. Yeah. So, in other words, the land that my granddad bought over there, he bought that from C.W. Post. <clears throat> they had a, <clears throat> a town meeting when they started leveling. That was just a little bitty kind of community it was a store or two. And they had a meeting there to name it. And they just called it Level Land because <laughs> Level Land is a, there's a lot of the old names that's really just named after Always. something to describe. describe. Yeah. Um. But, but anyhow, <clears throat> He he wound up coming out here, and the biggest part of the family came with him. And at the same time, the opportunity at San Saba County come up, in which that was the next county south of Brownwood, you know. So 
In other words, the Vardamans, there was uh, two brothers, my granddad and his brother, and then their kids. They all moved down to, and part of them was Schaffner, see, because they'd married Schaffner and family. And they moved down to San Saba, and that's that's where how come us to go down there. So the Vardamans and uh, Schaffners all came on out here. And then, did they <clears> come <throat> by train, or did they did they drive they, up here? They came wagon team. In team wagon. Yeah, in other words, uh, th think about this. This is almost an unbelievable story. When Grandpa, in other words, they couldn't buy lumber or anything to build a house out there. And he brought all those boys with him. They bought the lumber at Colorado City and had it put on a train and shipped it up to Littlefield and unloaded it and hauled it with a wagon team. What's That's that? about 40 miles. Yeah, it's 30-something miles, they called it. Yeah. Wagon team that they hauled that lumber down there to build that house. And <clears throat> that house was one of the nicer homes in the community over there and was one of the last ones that they moved out away from uh, you know, to make room for new houses. Okay. Um. But anyhow, <coughs> like, <coughs> it's kind of amazing over where their home place was. It, when you went to the north side of their place, the road that run east and west down there, there, there was some of the shoppers that farm on one side or the other for the next six miles down that road. <laughs> they, that was a pretty, pretty good sized group of them that all farmed right there in one spot. When did they come out to Level Land? They moved out here. <coughs> this four hours born. Okay, so that yeah. that was a while back. Yeah. Huh? There really wasn't very many people up here back then, No, was there? A, after, when they built their house and was getting ready to move, they knew the railroad was being built, and <clears throat> they waited till the railroad so that they could ship all their cattle and everything on uh, the train all the way into Everland. And they, all their stuff was on the train, first train that went to Leveland from Lubbock. Up, up there. From Leveland to Lubbock? Yeah. From Lubbock to Leveland? Lubbock to Leveland. So from Leveland <clears throat> back to where they left Central Texas, how many miles is that in a wagon to get up here? That's several hundred. Well, <clears throat> it wouldn't it be probably a little less than 300, but not much, if any. That's, That's a that. lot of sand so, between here and there to roll a wagon that, through. They'd, they'd class that, you know, was <clears throat> like nearly a two-week trip if you come out here and back in the wagon. They could do it that fast? Well, I mean, about 30 miles a day is a, is a lot for just yeah. an ordinary old wagon. Yeah. You travel, call it. Team got to eat and 
you know, the, the, a, a team a can't pull, you know, just like they show horses all the time running, pulling these <coughs> carriages and stagecoaches and things, and a fast, or a horse can't do that, you know, a couple of miles at the most. Yeah. <coughs> and so just like working in a team in the field, like, see, I grew up around a team. In the, I want you to talk more <coughs> about plowing with horses. The last, last two years that we had the team, I was, I rode the cultivators and run the team, but I started <coughs> working with the team before way before I started school. Uh, say for instance, like <coughs> whenever Papa would be running this old one-row planter, all right. Uh, Run, usually he'd run a stalk cutter on the beds right ahead to that and that'd chop up the bed and make it good and mellow. Yeah. And then he'd plant right behind it. Well, he'd put me on that one-row cultivator right ahead of him. So I'd be in the field with him. Usually I'd make every round he'd make, except I'd be... You know, a little bit well, ahead of him. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> like where those teams was, they they knew what they was doing all the time. So about all I had to do was turn them around on the end. Well, all that mounted to is you kind of started them on the turn, mm-hmm. and they'll know how to finish the turn, and you be sure they lined up on the road. So that that sounds like it's hard, but it would be if you had a team that didn't know anything about what they're supposed to be doing. Would they turn around on the next row, or would you have yeah. to like skip one? No, we'd turn right back just... on the next row. Like that, <clears throat> that wheel, it's, it's supposed to just sit in one spot. <laughs> yeah, turn. yeah, just uh, pivot. Pivot. Um. So, like, you would have broke all those farms out. They were prairie grass, and you would have broke them out to make a farm. Were your weeds that bad for the first several years of farming? No. Would weeds just we, cover you weed, up? Weeds, in other words, uh, weeds like, we didn't have <coughs> careless weeds. <coughs> a lot of the bad weeds, we didn't have them then. Uh, they didn't have careless weeds out here in this country for years. Really? Yeah. About okay. the only weed they had was what we call the white weed yeah. and the blue weed. They were there come from a root. <clears throat> and a white weed root, like over here at the Cleachy Pit, that, that went 30 feet in the ground. And there's still white weed roots at the bottom of that. So that old white weed, man, everybody always said a white weed, a white weed root, and mesquite is really go to water. I'm not sure if that's not right, but. Are they a, pre, uh, a perennial? Yeah, they come, they come back come every back year. Roots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, would you. I mean, what were you really plowing when you were running the cultivator? In other words, a lot you, of grass? You, or? 
Pine Grass, number one, uh -huh. right, like where we were, uh, wasn't that many weeds as such. It's, it's mainly grass, Colorado grass, and and uh, was one of them, and uh, crab grass is right. worse than that. Yeah. Crab grass is kind of multi roots. So, like, <clears throat> whenever you're cultivating, you, you need to get all that when it's little. If you wait till it gets big, man, it's, yeah. it's tough to kill. Yeah. Um, were your bugs, did you have a lot of bug problems back then, or was it? Yeah, he, he had some bug problem, but the thing is, he didn't have anything to control them with. Yeah. Uh, like on cotton, we'd have uh, leaf worms and that kind of stuff. And uh, there wasn't anybody that didn't try to fight them some way and leave on the. How would you fight them? Uh, you could take a wagon and put barrels in it with a hand pump and put your sprayer. <laughs> Some kind of sprayer? Spray what were they the spraying on them back then? Arsenic. <laughs> 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 well, that's about the Yeah, only, that would work. <laughs> about the only thing you'd kill anybody. <laughs> yeah, that would work. Mm. Huh. One of them done more damage to us. And yeah, <clears throat> that's pretty funny. And then when they came along with a, uh, in other words, say for instance where we grew up, we was raising cotton. We was cotton was quitting. Then we started planting, setting out peach trees and hot pecan trees. And they tried to go that route and then decided peanuts was we could grow peanuts in the sandy land. Yeah. <clears throat> Raising the peanuts does good in sandy land. When you harvest them, that sand will all come off the nut and the dirt won't stick to it. Like, there's certain types of dirt, you literally can't get it off the peanuts. If you have tight yeah. ground, is it harder to dig them up out of the ground? Yeah. All <clears throat> right. Some? In other words, it's like on the sandy ground. You just run a sweep deep enough to cut the tap root of that uh, peanut root off, and then you rake it. Uh, later on, you used to do it with all that hand. You mean you plow, plow it up, and then you just pull the root up and shock those peanuts by hand. So you'd pull a plant <clears throat> out of the ground by hand? Well, you'd cut it up, cut the root yeah. off, but yeah, you'd pull the root. Was it hard back. to pull that after no, you No, not after you pull the root. It'd come out, you know, real easy. Okay. <clears throat> and then wasn't long after that, the side of the liver rake come along. <clears throat> it, it would rake the, after you plowed that, it'd rake those it'd pull them in off. the windrow. Huh. And then you'd go down this windrow with a, pitchfork and put them in shocks and then <clears throat> how many pounds would be in a shock well how would you figure you just, that you didn't want to make your shock too big you wanted it where it dry out yeah some peanuts would dry uh -huh. so you'd make little piles of peanuts alone and then you'd come along with a wagon pick them on the wagon carry them to the thrasher 
and thrash them. So that was still that way when we quit raising peanuts. <coughs> but any other <coughs> peanuts was the best money crop that, that we had all during time. Like when my time Papa and them moved there and started farming to, up to that time. Do you want to talk about your peanut holder? Well, <clears throat> I love peanut butter. It, I was always asking Mom why she didn't buy peanut butter. We got to realize <clears throat> I grew up in the Depression days there. Well, when I was a little kid, I didn't realize why nobody had any money. But that was the reason. Was there really, and, there just wasn't any money? I mean, I mean you, you just can't believe it. Say, for instance, like I remember in one of Papa's ledger books, he, he'd always keep a ledger. And whenever, like one year there, he only sold $700 worth of stuff all year long. Had all that family in the and world. Yeah, there was, there would have been 12 people in that house. Well, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it, well, in other words, like when we was growing up there, uh, say, say Raymond was the oldest one still at home. Raymond and Edmund, Joanna and Arlene and me. And that was during the time whenever he only sold like $700 worth of stuff that whole year. The thing is, you know, people just nearly had to raise what they eat. Yes. And and that's what we done. I mean, we'd have a big old garden and can and... What all would you grow in the garden? Corn and... Squash and beans and peas and all that kind then of stuff. And did you have peaches back then? We had peaches. Uh, we had peaches as long as I can remember because they started uh, setting those peaches out about the time I was coming along. And then say, for instance, like the first pecan trees, uh, there's, I think, in 20, uh, well, I I think about the first pecan trees they set out was like about 18, and it went on to up to nearly 29 or so. Yeah. When they set the last ones out. And <clears throat> the pecan is interesting. There's a guy from uh, England that was on a ship trying to go to California. <clears throat> well, he was coming down the east coast, and he got off the ship at uh, Galveston and decided he'd go across country. Yeah. Instead of having to go on all the way around the South, South America. America. So anyhow, when they got to San Sabo, he stopped. <laughs> well, wound up as a furthest he ever, uh, <laughs> He stayed there. <clears throat> but anyhow, he was a... Uh, horticulturist, and uh, while he was there at San Sabo, there's two cowboys come in that had this limb that they'd cut off this pecan tree that had big pecans. Well, nobody there had ever seen 
big pecan big before. Ones, huh? Okay. They always ever had as natives. So, <clears throat> Mr. Risen was this guy's name. W. E. Risen. I never will forget him. He talked to those two cowboys in to sell him them that them pecans. If he they'd come and show him where he, so they did that, and anyhow he went out to where the tree and bought the whole tree off the rancher. So he'd he'd take the buds off of that tree and bud them on the you know. Yeah. That's the way the. In other words, that's when you talk about the history of pecans. That's where the paper shell pecans all started. That's oh, wow. the reason since that was called a home paper shell pecan. I couldn't understand. They're growing all those pistachios, walnuts, all these nuts in California when I was over there. And they don't have any pecan trees, and China wants a pecan trees or pecans so bad. I don't know why they're not growing them over there and why they can't. They've got over a hundred more days of growing season than we do here in our part of Texas. I don't, I don't know. know. That's me. This thing, <clears throat> that's their, you know, <clears throat> uh, best method of making money out of them. Maybe they're making enough pounds per acre but to make like, it work. Like Mr. Risen, uh, knowing him, he, he was out at our house just about every week. Really? He'd come out and visit with my dad and help him set out bud, be, bud pecans, huh. that's what he called it. No word. He'd take the bud off of one tree and put it all on another and call it. No word, you had to start with the whole uh, native stock. Uh-huh. And like we had, <coughs> we'd plant them pecan trees <coughs> In <clears throat> little rows. Yes. Uh, about six, uh, about a foot apart. And had several hundred yards long. And we'd plant them, and that was a stock pecan tree. And you'd fill that up, and then you'd plant the uh, whatever kind of pecan bud onto that. So That's you couldn't just graft limbs on pecans? Can't you, do that. You could, but before <clears throat> you were setting out orchard, you had to you had to have the tree to start with. See, yeah. <clears throat> but like Mister Resin, one of his favorite pastimes, he'd say, he'd get the buds off and fill his saddlebags on the horse and ride up and down those river bottoms and graph spots on them trees all along. And that's, <clears throat> in other words, he, he was doing amazing a lot of good. That what, a, what amount of good he yeah. did. But uh, he was the one that helped my dad get our pecans. And back then, pecans were one of our best things. That's the only thing that brought much money. And it's like <clears throat> when we got pecans ready to sell, that's where we had money to, in other words, you'd trade for nearly everything. And like you'd carry pecans to the, well, say it's like the hardware store. Uh -huh. They'd sell 
refrigerator and stuff instead of just, you know. So, in other words, his eight care pecans, and that's where we got our first kerosene refrigerator. Kerosene refrigerator. Yeah, kerosene refrigerator. You gotta talk words, more about that. Like, <clears throat> Cerebral, uh, that's a national brand, have been for years. I don't know how early they started. But in other words, they had a kerosene refrigerator, and you had a natural gas refrigerator and a butane refrigerator. Well, in other words, you still got, say, like in motor Camper, homes, yeah, they still use them. You, you got the same type deal. But like our big refrigerator that they traded pecans for there, every Sunday morning before we go to church, my dad would buy, buy kerosene in a barrel at a time because you get it for cheaper three cents to most about nickel a gallon, about as high as I can remember it hardly getting. So he'd, he'd draw out a five-gallon can and pour in that tank in that bottom of that refrigerator every Sunday morning. So, and so it was out of fish and it'd run, would it run all week? Run, yeah, it all, all run, on five gallons? less than five gallons. Cause wow. Five gallons would keep the, you know. Huh. Probably That's not even, a very big flame at all. No. Nah. Wow. But, man, we, everybody always had lots of milk and eggs because, you know, we always had, had usually about three milk cows all the time and what kind of cows were they jerseys was what we that was the number one milk cow down there at that time you gotta Ever. tell that story about you making all that whipped cream <laughs> yeah right that was after we got joyce and i got married and <clears throat> i bought this play and ruby they, Moved back out here when I when I was fixing to come. They'd already been out here once, but anyhow, players had bought a cow from this guy, farming over there. He had a little dairy, so he had <clears throat> some jerseys and some Holstein. So players bought a, him a Holstein, and I went over there and I picked out this jersey cow. And, She'd literally give just nearly half and half. Wow. I mean, when the cream. Yeah. So we'd sell cream off that. <laughs> Everybody would save the cream, and, you know, especially like in the wintertime when you keep good. Uh huh. You just carried up there and like fur food and all them. You just carry cream out here to. And they'd pay for it or give you a slip. Trade you. Sell for groceries. Huh. But it's like <laughs> we'd churn every day there so we'd have butter and eggs and and I started churning in a gallon jug. <laughs> that was when Joyce and I first started and anyhow that got just the whipping cream stage <laughs> Told Joyce, I said, let's put some sugar in that. Uh, so anyhow, I poured some out in the bowl and 
sweeten it up a little bit, and anyhow, I wound up eating that old gallon jug of <laughs> 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 I still like whipped green, but I didn't like it quite as good as I did before I ate all that. Did, you, did it make you pretty sick after? No, it's, I didn't get Never sick. Never had a problem? Yeah. That's a lot of cream to eat. But it's like growing up, is always something that you couldn't get enough of. And I remember like fresh coconut. That Where were you getting that from? He'd have to buy that. Yeah, and they'd but come in. <clears throat> they'd come in big old cellophane bags. Uh-huh. And you could buy out whatever amount you wanted out of that. Or they'd have cellophane bags like pound or two-pound bags. When you were a little boy, they yeah. were bringing coconuts over? Well, in other words, that's the way you'd buy coconuts. Well, you could yeah, get them but, back But then. you could get the whole coconuts huh. the whole time. I didn't know that. Yeah. 